How y'all done? Good. Are you feeling good? As my grandfather used to say, are you feeling froggy? I still don't know what that means to this day, but are you, you guys are looking good. Everything good? Everybody good? Good, good. All right. This coming weekend is our men's conference. You're cheering, but here's the deal. You're not signed up. So let me just be completely 100% honest and transparent. We came into today with a handful of men that are signed up for this thing. Unless that number drastically grows today, because the sign-ups end today, uh, we're going to cancel or postpone the event, okay? So that is where we're at. So, if it's your first time here today, my name is Craig, and my wife Patty and I get to pastor this amazing church. We won the award for the coolest church in the world. We got the trophy. They're supposed to send it to me. I don't know. It's coming from... Bangalore, I think. Anyway, um, I'm so glad you guys are here. Listen, there's a lot of people watching online. Will you do me a favor? Will you put your hands together? Help me welcome the rest of our family watching on YouTube, Facebook, Church Online platform. Hey, man, we love you guys. Thanks for tuning in. So glad you are with us. Now, we are, I don't know if you paid attention to the bumper video that came on. Oops, someone needs to get their kid. Um, <laughs> just looked over there. I don't know if you paid attention to the bumper video that came on, um, but the words that popped up were not the most life-giving, Right? Un, un, uh, holiness, holier-than-thou attitude, giving Jesus a bad name and all this stuff. And so here's the deal. Welcome to Romans chapter 2. Um, we are going through this series on Romans. We're taking a chapter every single Sunday. Um, today is definitely more verse-by-verse verse than the other ones, but we're doing chapter at a time. And let me just encourage you to join one of these Bible studies online. The QR code is on your paper handout notes. Um, it's easy to find. It's easy to do. And let's be honest, we all need to just learn a little bit more about Jesus and our Christian life and all that. We, one of our values here at South Point is we are lifelong learners, and that means we should be learning all the time, okay? And so just lean in a little bit this series and learn something. Sound good? Okay, so are y'all kind of feel a little, are y'all good? Y'all like with me? I have to make sure you're with me now because I'm getting ready to share some stuff that you are not going to be with me at all. So I'm checking the temperature on the front end because I know what Romans chapter 2 says and you don't yet. How many have read Romans chapter 2 first? Let me raise your hand like t this week, recently. Eight of us. Wow. Okay. Um, so we've got days coming. All right. After Dave's message, you probably won't want to read it. But anyway, um, here's the deal. So, and I know you already know this, but when the Bible was written, way back when with all the different authors and the different 66 books, it was not written with chapters and verses. And I know you knew that, and I'm, I'm not trying to insult your intelligence in the least, but I need to remind you of that because a lot of times when we're reading the Bible, we forget that fact and forget that the letter to Romans is a letter that Paul wrote without chapters and verses. And what I mean by that is, the chapter between 1 and chapter 2 of Romans divides Paul's point. And if you start at chapter 2, you're going to miss his point because when you divide his point, it becomes pointless. Okay? And so chapter 1, before we can get to chapter 2, I have to talk to you about the end of chapter 1. So we're just going to read it to kind of get in the flow. You ready? <laughs> oh, it's going to be so fun today. Here we go. This is the end of chapter 1, and then we'll get into chapter 2. And because they thought it was worthless to embrace the true knowledge of God, God gave them over to a worthless mindset to break all rules of proper conduct. 
Their sinful lives became full of every kind of evil, wicked schemes, greed, and cruelty. Their hearts overflowed with jealous cravings and with conflict and strife, which drove them into hateful arguments and murder on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. They are... Oh, I'm sorry. That's the Craig Wendell version right there. Just hang with me. All right. Um, they are deceitful liars full of hostility. They are gossips who love to spread malicious slander with inflated egos that really they don't even need to have. The only one wants to hear their ego is their mama. They hurl hateful insults at God, yet they are nothing more than arrogant boasters. They are rebels against their parents and totally immoral. They are senseless, faithless, ruthless heartless and completely merciless. How many think the Apostle Paul woke up on the wrong side of the bed that day? Right, ooh, he's an angry elf. Although they are fully aware of God's laws and proper order and knowing that those who do all of these things deserve to die. Yet they still go headlong into darkness, encouraging others to do the same and applauding them when they do that. And as Christians, because I, I guess you might be, you're here, whatever. Oh, as Christians, we read that list and we read that section, we're like, yes, yes, they are all sinners. They need to die and burn in hell, yes. Mark them, tag them, kill them, Father God. If you will just kill them right now, the world will be a better place. And we raise our gavel of righteous judgment upon them. And we bring it down to declare, hear ye, hear ye, a sinner be thee, right? And you come down, and right before you hit the, the judgment seat, the Apostle Paul leans in and grabs the gavel and says, hold up, girlfriend. Uh, see, you thought chapter one ended, and that was like the end of the thought. Uh, but I didn't do chapters and verses, and so just wait. There's more. And he steps into chapter two, and the Apostle Paul, you, you need to know this because what he's doing is he's setting up different groups of people in the beginning of Romans so we can realize that we all need Jesus and grace and mercy when we start getting chapter five, six, seven, eight, you know, as it goes on. But here he's just setting it up. So you had the one group of people that we just read about that are just sinners and heathens, and they're, they're doing, they're professional sinners. They're good at it, right? And so then he steps into chapter two, and now it's another group of people. You need to understand this. It starts with another group of people that are moral. They're good. They know right from wrong. Some might even call them church people. Might even call them church people. And he says, okay, so you need to understand this. So it's this category of people, these moral church people, basically, all right? And in that category of people, there's three different sections or subsections here, right, of the different way, the wrong way to apply your faith. If you apply your faith into anything that is other than Jesus Christ, you are wrong. Bottom line. And so he says, you might think you're good, but what about this, this, and this? Okay, so are you ready to dive in today? All right, so we're getting ready to jump into chapter two. Grab your notes, pull out your note sheet, take notes today. I highly recommend if you're new here or whatever, make sure you get a notebook on the way out so you can join the click. If you don't know what the click is, give it about 20 minutes and you'll find out, all right? Let's learn, let's grow, let's get some notes on paper, all right? Or you can take it in your phone. The notes are online as well. Okay, so here's the first group of people that, um, that we put our faith in the wrong thing, and it's the faith in our own righteousness. This group of people puts their faith in their own righteousness. Um, Romans chapter 2, verse 1. Here we go. 
those people, and so the Apostle Paul is just pointing back, right, the people that we just read about, those people that you want to drop a gavel on, those people are on, yeah, yeah, I agree, they're on a dark spiral downward. But if you think that leaves you on the high ground where you can point your finger at others, think again. Every time you criticize someone, you condemn yourself. It takes one to know one. Judgmental criticism of others is a well-known way of escaping detection in your own crimes and misdemeanors. Mm. Come on, somebody say, preach it, pastor. But God isn't so easily diverted. He sees right through all such smoke screens and holds you to what you've done. Philip, pull your toes up. It's going to be a long day. All right. Um, fill in the blank. You can point a finger, but you can't pinpoint the heart. See, here's the deal God sees the heart. He knows the motives. He knows how bad people are struggling and how much they're really trying to live right. But as sanctimonious, self-righteous Christians, what we like to do is point the finger at somebody's behavioral mistake when God is constantly holding up their beautiful heart. We want to judge people from what they've done, and God is understanding how far they've come. We look at one little mistake, and we're like, oh, oh my God, you're such a sinner, burn in hell. Or have you ever experienced this? You might have brought somebody to church. Maybe it was even on Easter. That's a big seller I hear. You brought them to Easter, and they raised their hand and got saved. And you're like, woohoo! They love Jesus now. And then you work with them, and you see the real them on Wednesday. Come on. You see them on Wednesday, and so you think to yourself, hmm, I guess that Jesus thing just didn't stick with this one. Hmm. Maybe they'll come back next Sunday and get saved again, raise their hand at the end of service. Maybe that one will stick. Maybe if they do it a hundred times, it'll finally stick. I mean, for me, you know, I'm just perfect. It's stuck right away. And we look at their behavior, and we don't understand why they keep messing up. And the deal is you're looking at their behavior, but God is celebrating how far they've come. You guys ever, like, and you know, if you're a parent or you've got kids or grandkids, that, that little baby, when they first start walking, Come on, parents, nod at me. Let me know you're awake. Presbyterian, amen. You got that little baby? And the first time, they, like, they're holding, holding on to something, right? And they stand up. And as a parent, I've seen it with my kids. That, that first day, they lock eyes with you. And it's like, oh, my God, I can balance myself. <laughs> and as a parent, you're like, they're standing on the road. And you're like, Come on, baby. Come on, come on. Anybody ever done this? Come on, come on. You can do it. Take, come on, just take one step. Come on, you can do it. Take one step. And they, and they do that. Like, like lit on heroin, you know, just like. But they take that one wobbly step, and it's the greatest thing ever. You're like, woo, yeah. And then if they do two steps, Jesus is on the throne right now. You have the most brilliant child on the planet because they put together two steps. And the third step, what happens? Come on, you, what are they? They fall. And when they fall, as a parent, you don't look at them and say, You're an idiot. You can't take three steps on your own. Dear God, I've been doing it for decades. What is your problem? No, what do we do? We celebrate the steps. 
while holier-than-thou Christians criticize the fall. Jesus will celebrate the fall just with you because he knows you still got two steps in you. He doesn't leave you. He doesn't forsake you. The only people that do are the ones that are constantly pointing out the behaviors rather than the Savior that saved them. I know some of you don't like that. Last service, it was just the front three rows that preached me down. So I hope you're with me. The rest of them were like, oh my God, what is he saying? All right. because we, we don't like that. We want someone's behavior, because we're so good, we want someone's behavior to be punished. We want it to be shown that they're wrong. The next verse, Romans chapter 2, verse 3 says this, since you judge others for doing these things, why do you think you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same things? Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? Another translation says this. It says that the the kindness of God draws all men to repentance. But we don't like that. Here's what we think. We think judgment, condemnation, and fear draw men to repentance. And that is not scriptural. Condemnation, fear, and judgment repels people, but it is a temporary motivator that will make people feel emotionally released for a moment, but the minute they step out of the house of God where the judgment is so heavy, they go right back to why the, how they were. Why? Because you can't live up to that. Aren't you glad there's a thing called grace? Come on, somebody. And we love, let's be honest, we love the kindness and patience of God as long as it's applied to us or our families. We're so excited about it. God is so kind to me. I just love him. I, like, I can screw up time and time again. He still just loves me. Oh, you did that? I'm burning hell. <laughs> instead of, fill in the blank, instead of loving God for his kindness and goodness, we blame God for forgiving badness. Let that sink in for a second. While you're letting it sink in, do you guys remember, if you're old enough, there's a guy named Ted Bundy? Anybody remember him? Ted Bundy, I, was, I, I am old enough that I remember when all this, this happened, um, believe it or not. Um, so he did unspeakable, he was convicted for unspeakable things to 29 ladies, uh, but they say that it was a lot more than that, but one way or the other. Convicted, death row, he ended up losing his life on death row. Um, and so, here's the deal, he did horrible, unspeakable, just horrible things. And then, do you guys know Dr. James Dobson? He's written several books, Christian author, speaker. He went and visited uh, Ted Bundy the night before he was executed. And you can read the interview. The transcript is online. It's pretty fascinating. A little morbid here and there, but fascinating. Um, And in that, James Dobson afterwards, he said this. He said, Ted Bundy repented, found Christ, and there was an immediate change in his demeanor and all of these things. He got saved, okay? Now, when that happened, lots of people, lots of people said, how? That's impossible. There's no way he's been forgiven. Somebody that did that much unspeakable evil and badness, how could God forgive him? And here's the deal. We even scream, that's not fair. You're right, it's not, but I'm so glad God is not fair because I know what I've done. I know what I've done. 
And you say, well, Craig, I'm sure you didn't do anything as bad as Ted Bundy. Not in my eyes or in your eyes, but in God, we're the same. <laughs> Ted Bundy needed just as much grace as I need to live every single day when I wake up. That's good news. Is it fair? No. Praise God it's not fair. So some of you right now are on the fence. You're like, I don't know. Maybe I am a little self-righteous because I didn't like that Ted Bundy story. Okay. I put a test in your paperwork there. You can pull out your paper. Here, here's the deal. You're going to check the box for A or B column. Here's a quick little self-righteous test. Are you ready? No, you're not, but we'll do it anyway. Um, check A or B. Do you find peace in comparing yourself to professional sinners? And what I mean by that is when you say, you think things or feel things like, well, at least I'm not as bad as she is. At least I didn't do what she does. Or do you view yourself as unworthy of God's love and acceptance? When you see a professional sinner, do you shake your head in disgust? When you see someone that maybe is living a lifestyle that you think is disgusting, do you shake your head in disgust at that? Do you pass quick judgment? Or, B, do you think my heart is just like theirs? It just reveals itself differently. Next, do you think you can stand before the judge on your own character and morals and be found innocent? And a lot of times we might chuckle at that one, but then how many times do you end up at a funeral and somebody says, well, he was a good man? I've talked to people before, while they were living, um, that said, I don't need Jesus or church, I'm a good person. Okay. Or, do you see that your own righteousness is not enough and you are in desperate need of Jesus' righteousness? If you answered A, if you checked A for any of those, let me help you out. The Apostle Paul is talking to you. All right, you ready to move on? Something a little more lighthearted? Yes? That's not this week. All right. Here's the second one. You can put your faith erroneously in the first one. What is it? Your own righteousness. And then the second one, the same group of moral people. Erroneously, you can put your faith in works. In works. Put your faith in our works. Romans 2, verse 5, the next verse. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart. Stubbornness and unrepentant right here is a compound Greek word. Um, it's sclerotos. There you go. Means nothing to you, but you might recognize this word. It's also where we get our English word sclerosis from. Arterial sclerosis, what is that? It is a hardening of the heart, a hardening of the arteries, and that's sometimes hard to detect in yourself, isn't it? Just say yes. It's not a trick question. Okay. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will repay each person according to what they have done. You will get what you deserve. Now, a lot of people will take that verse and other verses like it um, and say, interpret it this way. They'll say, you have to do enough works to be saved. 
you have to do enough right things to get into heaven. If you do enough good, then you can have entrance into heaven. That is a horrible teaching. It is not scriptural, and it does not line up with the rest of the Apostle Paul's teaching. Here's another way to say it. You can fill in the blank. Works are the evidence of salvation, not the basis for it. Say amen again. Salvation, works are the evidence of salvation, not the basis for it. Why does he want us to do good works? Get this. He wants us to do good works because he wants to reward our good behavior. We serve a rewarding God, and that gets lost so many times. We think God is a judging God, a harsh God, a lightning bolt throwing God, yet that is not scriptural. In fact, Hebrews 11.6 says this. It says, I'm going to paraphrase it, but it says, listen, you can't even get to God unless you first recognize that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. If you don't even realize he's a rewarding God, then you are seeking the wrong God. You've put your faith into something that is, no long, that is not Jesus at all because our God is a rewarder. We do good things and we get rewarded for it. Y'all are killing me today. All right. We'll just move on. No, I don't want to move on. Listen, if eventually if your actions, your behaviors, your attitudes don't start shifting and morphing to become more like Jesus, then go back and check where you put your faith. Because when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, he cures the hardened heart and he sets you free from that mentality so that you are free to change. Okay. This is way better preaching than y'all think it is. I'm just telling you. So not knowing how to test your own heart is tough. You go to a doctor for it, you go to nurses for it. Thankfully, the Apostle Paul helped us out. In the next two verses, he gives us nice little tests once again on how's your heart. Verse 7 is a test on what does it look like to win? Win! Winner, winner, chicken dinner. And verse 8 is what it looks like to fail. Fail big time. All right? So look at this. Verse 7. For those living in constant goodness and doing what pleases him, seeking an unfading glory and honor and imperishable virtue, will experience, come on, eternal life. That's the, that's the win, right? Eternal life. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. And then we'll get to the fail, fail, crispy critter in just a second. Um, but what is, what is he saying? Listen. Here's how you get eternal life. This is how you'll know. It's just a test if you're on the right direction. And the first one is this. It's in, the, in there. Constant goodness. We're constantly doing what pleases God. Now you might say, oh, you're talking about perfectionism. Not even remotely. Not, not even remotely. But I'm going to live my life, and I'm going to get better and better and better. I'm going to make better choices. See, I am more kind now than I was two years ago. I am more gentle now than I was two years ago. I was, and you can go down the list of the spirits. How can I, fruits of the spirit? How can you say that, Craig? Because, I'm going to throw a Christianese phrase at you. You ready? You ready? Christianese. Here we go. Anybody speak Christianese? Nobody? Two people? We just say we speak Christianese. We really don't know what it means anyway. But um, I get better and better, and you get better and better, because Jesus, when he comes into our life, he frees us from the bondage of sin. Now, what does that look like? We say that, I'm free from the bondage of sin, then why are you still messing up on Monday morning? 
Here's what that means. Before Jesus is in your life, you are a slave to sin. You are controlled by your flesh. You cannot make a good choice because the sin that you are in bondage to will not let you. And when you see something you want to change, your only defense is to use your willpower to change. And how many know your willpower is not that strong? We can't even say no to the second donut. Come on, somebody. And so we don't have the power, but when Jesus comes into our life, the Bible teaches that he frees us from the bondage of sin. That means he has released me from that hold. So now I have a choice to choose that I did not have before. Now I can choose not to sin or to sin. How many know we still choose incorrectly sometimes? That doesn't mean you give up. It's just God wants to reward you. He is not going to reward you for that. So have a better decision and you will be rewarded. And the other thing that we choose to do is to seek. That's in your notes. Seeking the kingdom of God. Look, look at this. Um, seeking the unfading glory. Matthew 6.33 says this. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. If you're constantly seeking things to satisfy your flesh and your sinful nature, you are not seeking the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is peace, righteousness, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That means when you're seeking those things, that's the kingdom of God, and here's the beauty of God. I love this. When you're seeking the kingdom of God, he will automatically give you the other things that you, other people are seeking. And they'll say, well, how did you get that? Were you looking for that? No, I wasn't looking for that. I was seeking the kingdom of God. And since that was a right choice, God blessed me with the blessings. See, people want the blessings without seeking the right kingdom. And that never, that never goes well. All right, you ready to look at what failure looks like? Romans 2.8, but those governed by selfishness and self-promotion whose hearts are unresponsive to God's truth and would rather embrace unrighteousness will experience the fullness of wrath. How many know that is fry, fry, crispy, critter, burn in hell, right? The wrath, I mean, that's the wrath of God. That's wrath. So what is it? Fill in the blank. Selfishness and self-promotion. This is those people that are self-seeking. It's always all about them, and they're doing their own self-promotion. And I was thinking about this this week, and self-promotion is one of those things that it's hard to see nowadays because it's everywhere. You, you know, it, it's, it's almost hard to pinpoint. Back in the day, it used to be easy to be like, oh, that dude's so propping himself up. You know, you know what I'm saying? But now Everybody seems to be doing it, and just because everybody's doing it does not mean it's the right choice. And the deal is we want to prop ourselves up on this platform and build our own platform to stand on, and we'll be good. If you build your own platform to stand on, I'm just going to tell you right now, you will fall face first off of that platform because whatever you build under your own means, you have to keep going under your own means, and that will not work for you. I'm just telling you, but we want it now, but God says, you know what, I'm more interested in building you up so that you will have character and integrity to be placed on a stage or a platform that's a little raised up. If you are constantly trying to exalt yourself, you will fall every single time, but if you will wait for God to grow you and make you more mature spiritually, then he will put you automatically on a platform that you could have never dreamed and gotten there by yourself every single time. 1 Peter 5, 6 says this, Therefore, humble yourself 
under the mighty hand of God. Not people's opinions, not social media tracking. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Doesn't matter how good your mama said you are. Doesn't matter how mom is so impressed with your opinions. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and then what does it say? He will exalt you in due time. Second thing here is unresponsive hearts. What does that mean? It means this. When you're confronted with the truth, do you allow the truth to change you, or do you push back? When you come in here, I'll just use this as an example. When you come in here and hear one of these amazing sermons like I'm preaching today, right, just the best. Thanks, Mom. Um, when you hear a good sermon, does it change you or are you listening with your elbows? If you're listening with your ears and an open heart, it will change you. If you listen with your elbows, what is that? Hey, Margaret, he's preaching to you. No, I'm not preaching to Margaret, I'm preaching to you. And instead of arguing with truth, truth, a lot of times truth tells us, you're wrong. I'm wrong, but let's apply truth and let's change our lives instead of trying to rewrite the Bible to fit our current culture, because that ain't going to fly. You ready for the third one? Yeah. They only get more difficult. We're already here. I'm almost done, so just say yeah. Just, all right. So the first one is the group, that subcategory of people that put their faith in their own righteousness. And then the second one is the group of people that put their faith in their own works. And then the third one is the people who put their faith in our religion, your own religion. This is the end of Romans chapter 2. And it starts with if. And the if is inflammatory. And so this is a powerful passage. But I was reading this week this theologian and he said, to get the full impact of this scripture, take out the word Jew and put in the word born again Christian. I'm like, okay. And let me just tell you, it hits a little different. It hits a little different. Romans chapter 2. If you call yourself a born-again Christian, if you rely on the law and boast in God, tell everybody, I go to church. If you know his will and approve of what is superior because you are instructed by the law, if you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in the dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher. You work in Kids Point because you have in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth. You who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. What is he saying? He's saying you can put your faith in Christianity, but you need to put your faith in Jesus. If you put your faith in Christianity, you will, here's what will happen. If you put your faith in Christianity and not in Christ, it creates a dead orthodoxy. And what, what does that mean? It means it's just dead religion. It hasn't changed anything, it not done anybody. And then, and then church becomes this, this cushion, cushiony place that is just where insecure people go to feel better about themselves. And if it's just a church of insecure people feeling better about themselves, then we're giving Jesus a bad name because he's not about coddling the insecure. He's about transforming them from insecurity to secure so that they can be seeding, spreading seed all around this world and changing lives. But if all we're doing is sitting around being insecure about who he created us to be, we're missing the whole point. 
The whole point is you are a beautiful creation by him and we should walk in security because I am not a joke. I am not broken. I am not a failure. I am a child of the king and you are too. And they're putting their faith in all of these religious things and all of these symbols. One of their favorite symbols was circumcision. And they put their faith, I'm, I'm a follower of God if I'm circumcised. And you might say, well, what circumcision? It was, it was just this thing that where they, they were like, it, was, it just showed that they had a little skin in the game. You, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and on the way home, children, go ahead and ask your parents why everyone's laughing. You're welcome. <laughs> Circumcision is an outward sign of an inward change. It was an outward sign of an inward change. And they put their faith in this symbol, and we're always messed up. Please don't miss this. We always get messed up if we put our faith in a symbol rather than putting our faith in the one that the symbol is pointing to. So we have a symbol like water baptism, for example, and this is a really good place to just exchange circumcision for water baptism, and if you think that's theologically inaccurate, go home and study Colossians chapter 2, because the Apostle Paul lays it all out in Colossians chapter 2, so later study. But let's look at this verse and replace, we got a lot of replacing to do just to bring it home. Jews to Christians, right? You tracking with me? You tracking with me? And circumcision to water baptism. Romans chapter 2. You trust in the covenant sign of circumcision. Okay, that's, that's there. Yet, baptism only has value if you faithfully keep the teachings of the law. But if you violate the law, you have invalidated your baptism. And if the unbaptized one faithfully keeps the law, won't his obedience make him more Christian than the actual rite of baptism? You are not a Christian if it's only superficial. For it's more than the surgical cut of the knife, or it's more than the being dunked in water that makes you Christian. But you are Christian because of the inward act of spiritual circumcision, a radical change that lays bare your heart. It's not by the principle of the written code, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's what the Apostle Paul is saying. He says it will be better if you are an un baptized believer than if you are a baptized unbeliever. And there's a lot of people that might get baptized and they put their faith in the baptism and God says you are just giving Jesus a bad name. If you are baptized, come on I know, all the way down to the end, we're just being a little bit harsher. It is better to be an unbaptized believer than being a fraud. Help me, preacher. Help me, preacher. Come on, help me, preacher. So what is circumcision? Real quick, circumcision is a sign of what will happen to you if you break the covenant, the promise, right? And so there's different ones in the Bible. There's the one where they can throw dust over their head, and what that's saying is if, if I break this covenant, this promise, then um, I'm stuttering because I'm going over my time. Are you all good? I really want to teach you this because it will change your life. So can I have, I never say this, but can I have like five more minutes? Okay. Um, thank you. I think I will. Um, you can throw dust on their heads, and what they're saying is, hey, if I break this covenant of this promise, may I turn into dust, right? May I just become dust, death. 
And another one you see in the Old Testament where they cut animals in half and they would walk between the two halves of the animal on the bloodline. Boy, a lot of good teaching there, but walk through there. And they were basically saying, listen, if I break this promise, then I'll, I'll be like these animals. Just cut me asunder. You know, just kill me, separate me, I'm done. And then circumcision is another sign, and here's what it is. It is cutting away of an intimate thing, okay? You don't make me do all medical what, what we're doing here, but it, it's a cutting away. And so what he's saying is, this is what the whole sign represents. It's, listen, if you don't keep this promise, your intimate relationship with God the Father will be cut away. It will be impossible for you to enter an intimate relationship with the creator of the universe. And let's be honest, they didn't keep the covenant, and we don't either. So what's the solution? I'm so glad you ask, because this is in this man named Jesus Christ that changes everything. Colossians 2.11 says this, through our union with Jesus, we have experienced circumcision of heart. All of the guilt and power of sin has been cut away and is now extinct because of what Christ, the anointed one, has accomplished for us. What Jesus did made it possible for us to once again have an intimate relationship with God the Father. That's huge. And when you realize you have an intimate relationship with God the Father, that's not scary because don't forget, he's a rewarder of those who seek him. He wants to bless you this morning. He wants to change your life, forgive you of sin, set you in a whole different world in a whole different way. Don't put your faith. Don't put your faith in your own righteousness. You're not that good, and neither am I. Don't put your faith in your own works. You will never accomplish enough. Don't put your faith in church attendance, small groups, dream team. Don't, don't, don't put your faith in that. Put your faith in this man named Jesus Christ, and it will change everything. Can I pray for you right where you are? Will you just bow your heads and close your eyes? Heavenly Father, I love you so much. I love you so much. And so, Father, right now, I just ask that you do something spectacular, do something miraculous. Shift our gaze from church attendance and works and our own goodness. Just switch all of it. Let our, let our minds shift and let us see you. And so, Father, every single person in this room that doesn't have a relationship with you, I want to introduce them to you today. If that's you, right where you are, I'm not going to have you stand up, not come down front, just right where you are. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand up, and I want to pray with you right where you are. If that's you, you're ready to meet this man named Jesus Christ and put your faith in him, raise your hand up. Come on, put it up. You're not alone. I'm going to count. You're not alone. Not alone. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen. Father, I thank you for these 17 people. 18, I see you, buddy. 18, I thank you for these 18 people. And Father, I ask that you do exactly what you said you would do in your word. You said in Romans 10, 9, and 10, that if we would believe in our hearts that you died on the cross for our sins and came back to life, and if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, that means we're gonna tell everybody we're saved. I put my faith in Jesus. By our own confession and belief, we will be saved. And so, Father, save them. Set them free. Let them experience your goodness your mercy, your kindness, and your rewards. We love you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Stand with me, if you will. I'll make this super quick, because I went way long.
If you don't want long, you can come to, there's the click, by the way. If you don't want long, there's always first service. I have to be done by a certain time. Okay, let's pray the benediction, and we will get out of here. You ready? Now may God, the fountain of hope, fill you to overflowing with uncontainable joy and perfect peace as you trust in him. And may the power of the Holy Spirit continually surround your life with his superabundance till we radiate hope. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week, y'all. Love you.